Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Amen. Well, good morning again, church family and friends of Holmes Avenue, whether are with us here in person, obviously, and those that are with us online as well. If, um, if you came in just a little late or something uh, and you don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm thankful uh, that you are with us here today. And thank you for joining us again online this morning. And um, if you didn't hear me be able to say it earlier, happy Father's Day. I'm, I'm thankful that I have the joy of being a dad, and I'm thankful to my dad and to uh, all the other fathers that we have in our church, that, and even those that are like spiritual fathers uh, to the younger men and women in our church. I'm so grateful for that, and ultimately, I'm thankful for our Heavenly Father and what He has done for us for bringing the way uh, of redemption through Christ Jesus our Lord, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I want to remind you, if you want to continue in worship through giving, uh, you can do that at the doors as you exit this morning, or if you want to, you can do it online at homesavenue.com forward slash give, and you can uh, go and do that to continue to help us uh, with providing for the mission of the work that God is doing here through Holmes Avenue. Uh, if this is your first time with us, or the first time in a while, we have been journeying for the last six months through the book of Leviticus, and uh, today is the next to last day of the series, and so we will be in Leviticus 26 today. We will do all of the chapter. I promise you will be able to enjoy Father's Day at a reasonable time this afternoon as we go through this chapter, uh, but we will be in Leviticus 26, and I've entitled this message, God's Mercy and Grace, and while the worship team was practicing this morning, I watched, they were practicing the fellowship hall, I poked my head through the door, and I had known that they were going to do trust and obey beforehand, but as they were singing it, and I would, had been going back over my sermon this morning listening to them, it was just so perfect the way in which we did that song prior to this message because of what we're looking at in this message today, the heart of the matter. You know, you could entitle this message, Trust and Obey, uh, but then also the fact of God's mercy and grace that is on display through this passage it's, it's a very rich passage. We're going to go through it, and you might get to certain points. You might say, well, this is difficult. Like, I, why is God saying this? And I think when we finish, you'll see a complete picture of why God does what he does in this passage today. But in today's passage, we are focusing on the necessity of honoring God for who he is. The nation of Israel was called by God to honor Him, to keep the Sabbaths, to worship as they were commanded. And for the obedience to God, He would bless them. But if they were not obedient to God, we'll see in the passage, there was a, a, a uh, disciplining, if you will, for disobedience to Him. And yet still through it all, He offers redemption. And that's the beauty of who our God is. Our God is merciful. Yet he is also just, and we'll see that here today. Uh, the, for those of you that are family here, you, or you're here on a consistent basis, you know that we like to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. I, I'm going to ask you to stay seated just because of the length of the passage today, but I'll do as I did last week. I'm going to pray for us to start, and as we go through, we'll read through the text. So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to guide us. Father, again, we come before you so thankful. Thankful, Lord, that you have called us to be your sons and daughters, that you have called us to trust you and to obey you. Lord, I thank you that we can gather here in the house of you to bring honor and glory to you today. 
And so, Father, now as, as this sinner stands before the people that you've called him to to proclaim the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would speak in a powerful way. Holy Spirit, move in this place, I beg you. Move to those that are listening online now, those that may listen in the future. Speak to our hearts today. Call us to repentance where necessary. Call us to step out in faith where necessary. Father, I pray, I pray that we would not let this just go by. Lord, that we would hear from you and we would respond to you in obedience. Have your way in this place, Lord. We love you, we bless you, we honor you in Christ's strong name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for this passage today, we see that God commands worship and obedience from his people. He blesses those who obey while disciplining those who do not always obey, yet still providing the means of redemption. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first point is this. God commands his people to worship him. God commands his people to worship him. Look at the passage. The word of the Lord says, You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar. You shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. We see here in this first verse as God is declaring these things, coming off of what we saw last week, focusing on the last couple of weeks actually, with the things that we've covered over those two chapters, here God is addressing the fact that we have this example of what he talks about in the Ten Commandments. That there would be no idols before him. He alone is God. He alone is holy. He alone is worthy of the people's praise and worship. You may recall from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, Scripture says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, or that that is in the earth beneath, or that that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love of thousands, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is very clear that the creation of idols and worship of those said items, they were very uh, common, if you will, during the ancient religions. And God is very direct. I don't want anything to be honored and worshipped above me. I am God, therefore I deserve the worship and the praise that I deserve because I am the one who redeemed you. I am the one who saved you. I am the one who took you out of Egypt and rescued you. The Lord takes it very seriously. Only He could redeem His people. And He wanted to remind them of that fact and the necessity to honor and worship Him for who He is. You may recall in the Exodus account, after God has already redeemed them from Exodus, He's already rescued them, they go up to Mount Sinai where, where Moses is there to receive the Ten Commandments. And while He's up there, what is happening down below? The nation of Israel is there with Aaron in their charge who should be leading and directing them. Yet in that moment, they create this golden calf. God is taking his time. He's forgotten about us. So let's handle this on our own. Let's worship this item. That is sin. That is evil. That is wrong. And yet all this is happening in the moment while Moses is there with God on Mount Sinai. I have to ask the question, 
Do we sometimes make golden casts in our lives? Think about that. No condemnation, not judging anybody. Every single one of us, I think, in our lifetime or even now can think of an example, maybe recent or maybe at some time in our past, to where we have erected some kind of golden calf in our life. We're here on Father's Day. We're celebrating fathers. There are sometimes even when we take our family, which is good, and maybe sometimes we exalt that even higher than bringing God the glory. There are many, many different things in our lives that we can take and we can honor it as what it should not be honored as. God's rightful place. Here, God is reminding them in the Leviticus account of just how important it is to remember the blessing that He is to them. The blessing that He has provided redeeming His people. Look at verse 2. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence in my sanctuary. I am the Lord. God declares that the Sabbath must be kept and reverence in His sanctuary. The term reverence there, it is defined as to stand in awe. To stand in awe. Notice the term reverence. It's only used in the book of Leviticus when referencing the Sabbath. As we have gone through that period of time, we remember, we saw it all throughout the book so far. When we talked about the Sabbath, it's set aside as a time of quiet, a time of rest, a time of renewal, a time of focusing on God. God was declaring that that must be reverent. It must be held to the way He declared it to be. He wanted his people to have reverence for him, standing in awe of him for what he had done, to recognize him for being the one whom rescued them from Egypt. He is their protector. He is their provider. And we must remember, too, that purity in the tent of meeting was critical. Remember, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, it is the place in which the Spirit of God resided. The presence of the Lord was there in that place. The temple had to be pure. It had to stay reverent because it is where God was. Now we read this, and, and I pray as you've heard us preach week after week through Leviticus, which I know can be a difficult book, a difficult book to navigate through and, and to think through, especially in 2021. But I pray that you have seen each time we talk about these things, we tie in a reference for today. So for Christians today... In 2021, in the midst of a chaotic culture around us, we read passages like this and what we will see in just a little bit, and we ask, what is God saying in this? For the Christian, Christ Jesus has defeated sin and death. Therefore, He is the centrality of our reverence. He is the one that we stand in awe of because He is the one that bought our redemption with His precious blood. Suffering God's wrath on the cross, dying the death that we died. Worthy of that. So we do that. We go and we honor God. But the second thing we see, number two, God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience. Look at verses 3 through 5. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give your rains, I will give you rains in the season, and land shall yield its increase. 
and the trees as it fields should yield its fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the great harvest, and the great harvest shall last to the time for sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. If you recall from last Sunday, if you had a chance, you can go back and listen to it, or you can just read the passage in 25. But if you recall, I told you last week that we would see what God meant by the blessing further in 26. And here it is. He's promising if you walk in obedience to me, I will make sure that you are blessed tenfold. You're going to be blessed over and over and over again. Beautiful. This agricultural blessing from God. Because remember, the land was God's. The land was God's and God was giving it to the people. Verse 6. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. The Lord promises peace in the land. The first thing that he promises is that no wild beast will harm the people. Nothing of that will happen. Now look at 7 and 8. You shall... Chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Secondly, God here in this promise is telling them, if you walk in obedience to me and do as I have commanded you, the enemies of you will flee. They will fall at your feet. They will not bring harm to you. Look at verse 9. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply, and you will confirm my covenant with you. God promises them that you will be fruitful. You will multiply. Blessings will be added unto you. Look at 10. You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. There again, a tie-in with the promise of last week. God will continually provide from the harvest over and over and over again. They will have to keep using the old before they even have time to get to the new. Verse 11. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. Wow. I will make my dwelling among you. What a beautiful promise to the nation of Israel. What's the beautiful reminder to us? God has made his dwelling in us through the redemption of our sins and the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Beautiful. 12, and I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. God has made it abundantly clear. Nation of Israel, I have saved you. I have redeemed you. I have brought you out of the land. I have broken the bars of your yoke and I have made you erect. What is that yoke? What is that? The yoke of slavery, the cattle. They would have to have on the ox. He would have the yoke and it would be wearing on him and tiring on him over and over and over. He would do that. And for anyone who is not in Christ, 
The yoke of slavery which bounds us and beats us down, separating us from God. God provides the way of breaking that yoke. For the nation of Israel, God says, if you walk in obedience to me, I will break that yoke. You will not have to worry about it. I am your God. I will provide and I will take care of you. For the Christian in 2021, Jesus made a promise to us. He made a promise that he was doing the Father's will to accomplish the redemptive plan of God going to the cross to defeat sin and death and resurrect on the third day. But before Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus says something very, very profound involving the yoke. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hear me today if you identify yourself as not being a Christian. You may walk through your daily life over and over and over and you feel like you are oppressed and something is tearing you down consistently. And you will run to drugs, you will run to alcohol, you will run to sex, you will run to anything to give you peace. And it will never give you peace. It will never give you rest. It will never break the bonds of the slavery that you have to sin and the yoke that bears down on you. Only Christ Jesus can do that. Only Christ Jesus can break that yoke of slavery. And He tells you in His living and active Word, come to Me. Come to Me and I will give you rest. The beauty of it is if you're a Christian, you are saved. You have come to the Lord and he has provided the rest for you. But the reality is what? We still battle sin. We are under God's grace and his mercy new every single day, but we still battle sin. But thanks be to God that we get that grace and that mercy daily. Thanks be to God that he provides it and his mercies are new every day. But just because the mercies are new every day doesn't mean that we go and sin as we want. It means that we walk in obedience to him daily. We talked about this yesterday in Brotherhood. We were talking about the discipline of a godly man, the discipline of integrity, and having that discipline in our lives. Yes, for godly men, but women as well. We must have integrity. Because when we walk in the way of obedience to God and we surrender to Him and we show that integrity, what does it tell a lost and dying world? There's something crazy different about you and i got to know what it is. Well, if you really want to know, all I can say is Jesus. Because I can give you a long list of all the things I've done. But His precious blood Wipe those sins as far as the east is from the west. And I've been redeemed because of what he has done. 
God blesses obedience. And that's also not a prosperity message. We can't go around and say, well, God's going to bless my obedience, so I'm going to be a good boy or a good girl so that I can get this, 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 and this from God. God doesn't work that way. I think I've said that within the last couple weeks. He's not some genie in a bottle that we just walk up to and we rub and say, where's my three wishes? No, we walk in obedience to him, not expecting anything from him. Actually, I think I did say this a couple weeks ago too. We can't expect one thing, that his mercies are new every day. We can't expect that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. We can't expect that he is our provider and our caretaker. And he will lead us and we will follow in obedience. We can't expect those things from God. God blesses obedience. And number three, God punishes disobedience. God punishes disobedience. In verses 14 through 39, we see God promise curses upon the people in their disobedience. Now, before I read this, let me point out something to you. When we see that word curses, it doesn't mean that God is going to do some magical tricks just to get evil done against the people. It's a biblical type curse. The biblical view of curses are not magical. The biblical curse does not involve magical chance or special rights upon mystical powers. The Bible's curses that we see in the biblical standpoint from what God is saying, they are a result of God's sovereign power and His judgments. God is merciful to those who repent. And sometimes I think that we walk around and we think that that is all that God is. But the reality, church, is this. God is also just. God is just. Thank God that he is merciful. Because if he was not merciful, you and I would get what we deserve. And that is separation from him in all eternity in hell. Thank God that he is merciful. But when we come to passages like this, we see that God is just also. Because he is holy and he wants his people to be holy. Kenneth Matthews, I've quoted him a lot through this series. He refers to a biblical curse as they are conditioned by human behavior which permits genuine repentance. And so God can choose to reverse the judgment that he has cast. So hold tight because we're going to see something like that in just a moment. Verses 14 through 17 offer some warnings. Look at 14 and 15. But if you will not listen to me and will not do these commandments, if you spur my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenants, let's stop there. He's telling him, he's giving a warning. If you will do this, if you do not listen and you do not obey, we have to remember, what is the covenant? God made the covenant with the patriarchs before these people. He promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. He promised this everlasting covenant. It's a promise between two that are devoted to one another. We see it in a marriage ceremony. When the couple comes together before the people and ultimately before God, they are covenanting together to flee from all others to be one with each other. So in God's covenant to his people, he doesn't want it broken. He doesn't want it sinned against. 16 and 17. Then I will do this to you. 
I will visit you with panic and wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes to make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. We see this and we read this and we're like, whoa, 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 what is going on? God is directing this for those that are in disobedience against his covenant. Against him. The one who redeemed him. Those that would walk in disobedience of the nation of Israel against God. He is promising these things. Look at 18. And in spite of this, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. Now, one thing that you're going to notice through this is that God says, if you're going to be disobedient, this will happen. And then God says, and if you're still going to be disobedient, this will happen. So by the time we get to the end of this, you're going to see all this and say, whoa, God is just pouring out discipline left and right through these curses. God is consistently giving them opportunities to repent. God is telling them, if you don't do this, then this will happen. If you still won't do that, then this will happen. Look at 19 and 20. I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and the earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, and your land shall not yield, land shall not yield its fruit in its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield its fruit. What is one of the ways in which God hits hard right at the beginning? The agriculture, the land. He's telling them, the waters will not come from the heavens. And the earth will not yield fruit for you if you are in disobedience to me. 21 and 22. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you and shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. The wild animals will be set loose on the people. Thus pain, destruction from earlier. If they would walk in obedience to God, He would keep the wild beasts away. 23 to 26. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant and if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Notice there in those verses, God directly referred to the covenant. If you will not honor the covenant that I have made between you and I, then this will happen. 26. When I break your supply of bread... Ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by way and you shall eat and not be satisfied. Can you imagine eating so much bread and still not being satisfied? Come on. It's not good. 27. But in spite of this, you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me. Then I will walk contrary to you in fury and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. 29, involving war and exile. 
You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. What? Happy Father's Day. (laughs) You read that, and you're like, yes. In this moment, what God is saying there, God is not decreeing to the people to go and eat each other. God is not saying cannibalism is a good thing. What God is trying to drive the point is, because of the repeated times I told you to repent and you didn't, this comes. I told you to repent, this comes. I told you to repent and this comes. And now it's at the point where the famine would be so great that people would have to result to cannibalism. We even see examples of this taking place in the book of 2 Kings and Lamentations. Horrific stuff. Again, God not condoning it. But God's explaining to them the reality of their sin. And that alone paints a picture to us, does it not, church? When we sin, the little white lie sin, and then we go back, the sin, what happens next time? It usually gets bigger. Well, that wasn't so bad. Nobody knows. Do it again. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. It gets bigger. And the serious truth is this. Our sin does not just affect us. Our sin affects everyone around us. There are probably many of us in this room that can attest to that. Through the different avenues of our lives, the things that we have experienced. For the nation of Israel here, God is explaining to them over and over and over, you have opportunities to repent and therefore you don't. Verse 30. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of the idols and my soul will abhor you. Verse 30 is pointing to what we started the sermon with, referencing the Exodus account where God says, do not make idols before me. What God is referencing here in 30, he says, I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars. You want to honor some fake God? Go right on ahead. But it will bring death upon you. We talked about this yesterday in Brotherhood. We see the reality in Acts 5. We'll get to it as we journey through Acts over the rest of the year. But in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, the people, the church is gathered. And as they're selling their property and their land, they're going to the apostles and they're laying it at their feet. Everything. Yet Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, Ananias comes up with this plan. Hey, I sold this land, but we're only going to hold back this portion here. We'll give everything else to the the church. We will give it to them, but we're going to hold on to this. You good with that? Okay, honey, thanks. And so Ananias goes in, goes to Peter, and lays the proceeds at his feet and says, here you go. And in that moment, Peter looks at him and says, Ananias, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit of God? And in that moment, Ananias dies. Because in that moment, Ananias knowingly, knowingly, hard heart in that moment, knowingly held back profit where it should have been given to God. And he dies. And it says three hours later, Sapphira comes in, not knowing that her husband has lied to the Holy Spirit of God and has died. And Peter looks at her and says, is it true that you sold the proceeds to this amount? And she says, yes, dies. 
You might be sitting here. You might be listening online and say, whoa, God's killing people left and right. What in the world's going on? I told you a moment ago, God is merciful, but God is just. And just like we saw in Leviticus 10 earlier in this series, when Aaron's sons go there to the altar as the priest to offer this fire before God, they offer strange fire. They do not offer the fire in which God laid out for them. And what happens? Fire from heaven comes down and consumes them. God is just, but God does not want disobedience from his people, especially here in this account, the nation of Israel. Especially because in those moments of verse 30 and now 31, I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. You have to remember, all through Leviticus, when God laid out the rituals by which they were supposed to do these things, every time they did so in the way in which God declared it would bring up a pleasing aroma to God. As Paul talks about in the New Testament, a fragrant offering. God's telling them, you do this against me, it will not be a pleasing aroma. It will not be good because it is done in sin. 32, and I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. 33, and I will scatter you among the nations and I, and I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your city shall be a waste. This is very, very sad because God is telling them they will go into exile. They will not be able to go to the tent of meeting to offer sacrifices to God because they will be gone. They will be scattered. 34 and 35, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate while you are in the land of your enemies. And the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, and the rest it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. Remember from last week, the land was God's. Therefore, the land had to have a Sabbath rest as well. And because of the sin that's going on there, God is telling them, if you're not going to do this, I will scatter you from the land and the land will finally get the Sabbath rest that it deserves because it is my land. 36 to 39. And as for those of you who are left, I will send fam- faintness into the land of the hearts of the land of your enemies. And the sound of a driven, driven leaf shall be put on to flight and shall flee as one flees from the sword and they shall fall when, one, when none pursues. Then shall stumble over one another. And if to escape a sword, though none pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and you shall perish among the nations, in the land of your enemies you shall eat up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. I don't have time to read it for the sake of time, but in a, in a, I was going to reference this. You can just write it down. Deuteronomy 20, verses 2 through 4. Deuteronomy 20, verses 2 through 4. That is just a reference there to show that there's no need for timidity between the people and God. There's no reason to be timid. There's no reason to fear. There's no need to do as God is saying would happen to the people here. They would run and be scared as if someone were pursuing them, yet no one is there. 
That Deuteronomy passage, it references the fact that God is always there with his people. He's always fighting on behalf of his people, and therefore there's no reason to be timid. There's no reason to fear. Now, looking at all of that, before we go into the last point, what does it mean for the Christian today? Is God going to go and, conflict, and inflict curses upon us? Are, are we in trouble? See, here's the difference. Because of the new covenant and what Jesus has done, and because of God's mercy, there's a difference between curses and what we experience. We still have to face the result of our sin. God disciplines us. God disciplines us. Just as if a father would discipline his child, our Heavenly Father disciplines his children. Hebrews chapter 12, 7-11 reads this way, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Let's just, let's just stop and look at that. God is treating you as sons. The holy God who spoke everything into existence by the words of his mouth. For those who are in Christ, we have been adopted as sons and daughters. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That is the beauty. I know this is going to sound weird. That is the beauty of being disciplined by God. Because although we are justified in our sin, we are justified, saved from that sin, I should have said. We have been justified just as if we never sinned by the moment of God redeeming our souls. When we confessed after repenting of our sin and confessed Christ Jesus as Lord, we are saved. Signed, sealed, delivered, we are the Lord's, period. We have the promise of salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yet, in our sin that we still battle daily, God disciplines us for the point of sharing in His holiness. This whole time we've journeyed through Leviticus, holy God expects holiness from His people. The same is true for us today, church. We are God's people. Therefore, He expects holiness from us. So in those moments where you know, man, the Lord is making it clear that I'm being disciplined here. Rejoice in that moment. Because I don't know about you, but I would rather have that moment of still being a child of God and being disciplined by God rather than not having that opportunity at all and being separated from Him for all eternity. Thanks be to God that He provides those things. Now, 
Very quickly, we've seen what God requires in worship. We see that God blesses obedience. We see that God disciplines against sin. But lastly, after hearing all that about the curses, all that would, that would happen to the people, God provides the way of redemption. God provides the way of redemption, 40 and 41. But if they confess their iniquity, their iniquity and their iniquity of their fathers in their treachery and they committed, they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and Isaac. I will remember the land. Praise God that he remembers his covenant. For the nation of Israel, if they would confess the iniquity that they've done against me, then I will remember the covenant. And I will forgive them. But the land shall be abandoned. 43 by them and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurred my rules and their soul aboard my statutes. God again is saying, hey, if you're going to repent, praise God, you can be repenting, but still the land will wait so we can have its Sabbath. 44, yet for all that when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Church, there's much beauty in what we just read. Because the Lord offers redemption. The Lord offered redemption to the nation of Israel despite their wickedness and going against the covenant of God. And here in 2021, some 2,000 years after Christ Jesus died on Calvary's cross, God still offers the way of redemption for souls. He still offers the way of redemption because once and for all, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, Christ Jesus, after being betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, for blood money, He went to Calvary's cross after being flogged, beaten, spat upon, and mocked. Our Savior went through hell so that we would not go to hell. He would go to the cross on Calvary, where He would suffer in our place as the suffering servant. And not once did He cry out, Father, don't forgive them. Send down a legion of angels and let's annihilate the place. He said, I love them enough to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. Hanging on a cross 
hardly able to breathe. And the Father turns His face from His only begotten Son so that His wrath could be poured out on Him. Redemption of sin is still available today. Do you know Him? Have you been redeemed? Have you been saved by Christ Jesus and His finished work? That's a question I want you to process for a moment as we reflect and pray. That's a question I want you to ask. If you don't know that you have been saved, you need to stop and pray right now and say, Father, I know that I've sinned against you and I don't know that I am saved. Please save my soul if that is what the Spirit of God is moving and doing in you. And we will rejoice. We will celebrate that. We will baptize you and we will disciple you. If you're here and you're a Christian and you're not living a life bringing a pleasing aroma, a fragrant offering to God, repent. Repent before our holy God and walk in obedience to Him. We can help you understand what that means to walk in obedience. We can disciple you and teach you what it means to do that. But whatever God is speaking right now, listen, ask Him, Father, what are you telling me? And then respond in obedience. So let's pray. And then the band will come forward. We're going to sing this last song, The Goodness of God. And I'll be here worshiping along with you. But if you need prayer, come and pray. If you want to talk, if you have confessed your sin before God and repented and asked Him to save you, then come and tell me that. Let's pray now before our Holy Father. Father in heaven, Lord, I'm so thankful. Lord, that you are still in the redemption business. I'm so thankful, Lord, that despite our sin, you have redeemed us and we are your children. Father, right now, Lord, I pray, Lord, as you speak, that your people would listen. That your people would listen to you and be obedient children. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that even in the difficult times of our sin against you, that you do discipline us. But Lord, it is to sanctify us and it is to continually move us to holiness. Father, I pray that the desire of our heart is to be holy people living a life of obedience to you. Lord, for the one in this place maybe that does not know you, I pray, God, that you would redeem their soul right now. Have your way in this place, O oh Lord. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.